This is episode 124 of the Landscape Photography Show, and on this episode we're talking with photographer Lee Pengali, and I actually met Lee via Twitter several months ago, interacted with him for several times, and I wanted to get him on the podcast not only because he has such a, a long career in photography, and he just has a lot of experience in many different areas of the industry. And I know there's been a lot of pushback against NFTs, and, and, and I've taken the stance on here before of, of basically being Switzerland on the topic and just talking about it on the podcast without taking sides. Uh, and, and I've heard the argument come up several times that over time, that NFT market will go the way of stock photography. And since Lee started in stock photography, I wanted to get his take on it since he's in NFTs as well. But we don't talk the entire episode about NFTs. We talk a lot about the creative process, going through trauma, mental breakdowns, what that can do to the creative process, and also how you can use those parts of your life and implement them in ways of like nostalgia, going back to film photography, going back to why you love it, going back to the process of the slowing down process of photography and film photography and, and bringing up that love again. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey everybody, we're here with Lee Pengali joining us from across the pond today. Lee, first of all, how are you doing? Uh, and, and thank you for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, it's the weather's in, well improved a bit down here. So I'm, I'm I live down in the uh, southwest of of the UK, down in Devon. So very close to the coast, and it's um, yeah, weather's getting better at last. How many photographers are, are in your area? Um, not many. That I um, this Neil Bernal is just up the road. <laughs> I'll talk about that later on, but yeah, it's um. He's he's about I don't know twenty twenty miles away from me something like that so not 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 too far um, and there's there's a few sort of dotted around I very very rarely sort of come into contact with them occasionally see photographers out but it's um, yeah it's quite a a lonely pursuit most of the time. <laughs> I couldn't help but notice you went away from the metric system there and threw out the miles for me. Yes, sorry, yeah, miles. I know. <laughs> I don't know why we still haven't adopted metric system. That doesn't make sense to me. I don't know. I know. I know. It's, We're stubborn, it's, stubborn Americans. I think because you still work in inches and and feet, and whereas we 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 kind of work in meters and millimeters, which is um, I mean I'm used to it now. I kind of kind of grew up with it. It was uh, it was done at school when we kind of switched over. But we well, do use the old sense. system. We do use the old system for occasionally. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know. Um, why don't you get us all on the same page for who you are, how you came into photography, who is Lee, and give us a synopsis of what led you to where you are now in your photography career. 
Okay, cool. Um, I mean, I'm basically, I, I came to it, well, I'd say fairly late. I'm I'm 51 now, so I was 20, 22, 1992 when I, when I first started photography. Uh, my background is, I, I was a musician first. First, that's always, I, I won't sing the song, but music used to be my first love, as they say. Uh, that That kind of got me started. I was about uh, I think I was 13 when I first started to play. I'm a keyboard player mainly, but play guitar as well. And um, so that that was, I've always been creative. I've always liked to create stuff, whether it be music, photography. Um, so it, it was kind of a natural progression. I I got into it through a friend um, who was into photography. I'd never had any experience of it before leading up to this point. Uh, but I, I bought myself a camera. And like I say, 92, that was, I I just started going out. I love being outdoors. So and that's kind of what got me started. Always being a creative, was that really fostered in your childhood? Um, yeah, my mum was artistic and my grandmother as well. Uh, and a lot of musical inf- influence as well in the family. My my dad's a, a bass player. My, my great-grandmother was an opera singer. So... There was always always kind of music and, and art and stuff around, um, but yeah, photography. I can't I can't remember any of my my grandparents or anything being into photography. So yeah, I kind of a lot of people say you know, they came to it in childhood, but it was it was quite a late start for me. Now, when you talk about music, we we just recently had Paul Moon on the podcast who talked yeah. about his background in music as well. Um, what's the music scene like over where you are and, and why is that seemingly kind of like the entry point into other creative ventures, uh, including photography and painting and drawing? I don't know. It's weird. There's a lot of musicians that are photographers um, I've, I've found that over the years, um, it, it, there's, there's quite a few. And the majority of them are either bass players or guitarists, which is a bit strange. But <laughs> yeah, it's um, it it seems to be a quite a quite a close tie with the two with the two mediums, if you like. And I, I don't know why that is. Whether it's something in the brain that kind of you know, if you can do one thing, you can do the other, or you're drawn to the other. I don't know. It's very strange. What kind of music did you play? Uh, rock bands. So I, okay. I grew up listening to like Deep Purple and White Snake, um, all kinds of stuff like that. So I was mainly in in rock bands. Joined my first band when I was sixteen, and that that was a that was an eye opener <laughs> when I was sixteen. Um, but I've played in all kinds of bands. I've, the last one I was in was a, a Joe Bonamassa tribute band. Have you do you know John Joe Bonamassa? No, I don't. He's, he's American guitarist. Um, so I've played in quite a few tribute bands. A Bon Jovi one. I'm, I'm okay. ashamed to say. <laughs> <laughs> Come on now. Come yeah, on. I He's know. still relevant. <laughs> yeah, so mainly rock music. Um, I've played in a few sort of blues bands, but it was mainly rock. Um, and, and I've always played keyboards, played guitar in a few bands, but mainly, mainly keyboards. Okay. What was the craziest thing that happened? You said you were it was eye-opening for you as a 16-year-old. What was the craziest yeah. thing that happened? Oh, God, I could write a book. Um, <laughs> I, thought, I remember one gig we did, um, a very notorious pub um, 
in in Plymouth, which is one of the main cities down where I live. Uh, we'd literally only been playing for about half an hour, and it was. Uh, do you know the film The Blues Brothers? Yeah, um, with all the glasses and stuff flying around, and it, it was pretty much like that. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah. So you're you're saying you will not. I'm I'm looking for a new intro song for the podcast. You will not write me up one and play it. Yeah, oh, I could do. I could do. I've kind of. I haven't played live for uh, for quite a f- well about four or five years now, um, but I've still got still got gear here, so I, I still dabble. Um, I'm not sure on the recording side. I could probably do something, <laughs> but <laughs> who knows? We need what we need to do is uh, we've had people. Okay, you. And Paul Moon, uh, Alex Noriega has come on, talked about guitar. Y'all should just like get together, write a little jingle for the podcast, and we'll just upload it as the intro song. Yeah, cool. We need a band, an NFT band. You do. Absolutely. (laughs) I've said that before, I think, to a few people. It should be good. What was it like when you first started in the 90s as a photographer? Because things have changed pretty exponentially uh, over the past uh what are we coming in on now 30 years that that you've been yeah. into it yeah 30 years god when you say it like that it's like oh makes me feel <laughs> old yeah i mean when i started this this is this will give, give you a good um indication of what the technology was like back then when i started i didn't have a computer i had a, an electric typewriter <laughs> <laughs> to do all my all my business, my invoicing and stuff like that. So that gives you a good idea of what the, the technology was like. Um, things like, you know, social media didn't exist. Um, digital cameras didn't exist. They were just just starting to sort of come onto the onto the scene, but very basic. So I was I was shooting film. Um, I mean, like I said, I started in ninety two, but by I think it was ninety eight, I. Uh, I basically I was working a day job and I gave up my day job and went full time as a photographer. I, I was made a an offer I couldn't refuse from a, a local magazine to do all their um all their commercial work. So I was out shooting film pretty much every day and then taking it to the processors, picking up it was all um, transparency film. So you you drop it in one evening, pick it up the next day and and you know you you wouldn't have to get them scanned. You just basically sent them the, the transparencies themselves, you know? I, I think it's interesting both on the technology side and where the business side was back then uh, are, are so different, like talking about doing it for a magazine. And, and when, when Adam Gibbs came on and we talked about his past uh, photographing for, I think it's like a gardening magazine that he photographed for oh, yeah. uh, and did all of their work. And then obviously, you know, magazines, newspapers, everything kind of went south. What When you look back on that work and, and also that technology, do you like yearn for it sometimes? I, I do. I still shoot film. Um, I, I didn't up until about just trying to think now. About five five years ago, I started. I bought a film camera again. I used to shoot. Um, I used to shoot thirty five mil film and also large format um, five by four inch, like a field camera, and all all the all the um, all the different mediums in between, so six by seven. And so for me, film was. 
at the time back then when digital cameras came about and I started to use them. It, I mean, it revolutionized things. It, you know, it went from the, the cost sort of plummeted to, to what I was doing. All my film costs were, were gone and, you know, everything was processed and sent over a phone line and it, it completely revolutionized it. But I think as I've got older, this, this world is, is so full on and crazy and everything, everybody wants everything sort of yesterday. Um, and it was nice to kind of take that step back, buy a film camera and go in the completely opposite direction and just literally go out, not know really what you get in. You know, you, you've got no preview screen or, you know, anything like that. And it's it, it's such a tonic to sort of be able to go back to that and actually shoot that way. And it just it just slows things down. And I actually I actually enjoy the, the anticipation of the results coming back. I know that's weird, but... <laughs> You know, that's that's what I look forward to. What does it do for your creativity as a photographer? Um, it makes you slow down. It makes you think about, you know, every frame is has to be, well, not every frame works, obviously, but every in your mind, every frame has to work because otherwise it's just a waste of money. It's a waste of time. And so you, you, you get into this kind of zone where, um, you really have to think about, I mean, especially with five by four cameras, it's, you know, a, a box of sheet film now is is ridiculous in price. So you can't afford to make mistakes with it, you know. Um, so it definitely, it, it focuses your your mind, your, your technical abilities, all that sort of thing. Um, and it just slows you down, basically, makes you think more. The added pressure of cost doesn't get to you at all? um it used to um i mean i've i'll go through my sort of history but at the moment i've I, back in i think it was 2000 sort of two, between 2014 and 16 i had a bit of a, a meltdown in my personal life um and it, it ended up basically where i pretty much lost everything and i had to get a, a real job <laughs> so i had to go back to to working in the building trade which is where i started off when i when i left school um so I'm kind of stuck in this rut of, you know, having to work full time. And this is now, well, my my outlet, if you like, for, for want of a better word. Um, so now it, it, the cost of shooting film, I mean, I process my own black and white film. So there's not that much cost involved. But um, I think if I was doing it full time still, I think film would just be... I don't know. I don't think commercially film. I'm not. Wouldn't say it ha doesn't have a place, but you definitely got to think about the, the costs and you know price that into a job and stuff like that. If you if you're actually doing a job with film, so it's it's difficult. It's you know back then when I was full time, it was it was it was costing me a fortune for for processing costs and you know actual but actually buying the film. So. Digital, like I say, I said earlier, digital did revolutionize that as a business, you know. When you talk about that quote unquote mental breakdown, um, how long ago was that? Um, it started in sort of 2014. Um, kind of things were things weren't good. Um, I was I was married at the time and um, my marriage failed. And basically, I, I for, for that that couple of year period, I just I got into another relationship, which which was a disaster. Personally, it was, it was stuff that 
dealing with stuff that happened years and years ago and i ended up having to go and see a shrink basically because i was in a mess and i just completely lost the drive for everything not just photography and i just dropped everything i sold all my cameras i sold all my musical gear um just completely kind of lost the plot basically for a few years um and i just found i mean at the time during that time i think it was 2010 um to 2014 i was running workshops um so i was away for almost sort of six months of the each year um you know iceland norway slovakia all over the place uh and it was you know i was all this stuff personally was going on and it was kind of eating away and i just couldn't focus and i thought you know i just can't do this anymore i'm supposed to be there teaching people you know and and sort of relaying this passion that i've got and i'm just sort of like a shell you know so i just like i said during that time i just had a complete meltdown and i got to a point where i just needed to to earn a living things were in the photography industry things were there was a massive sort of change with the advent of digital technology and then with magazines and things going um directly to to online platforms uh you know, all these avenues of sort of income stream that I had were all kind of dropping off. Um, you know, things like stock agencies that I used to supply, the postcard and calendar, every every sort of avenue was kind of dropping and dropping. And it was it was just becoming stressful, you know, trying to, to earn a living. Um, so, yeah, I just, I just completely dropped it. And it's the worst thing I did, <laughs> basically. <laughs> What did you learn about mental health and, and going through that process with a therapist or counselor? Um, she basically turned, turned me inside out, um, made me kind of, you know, I, th- I always think I look back now and I think the, the photography and the music as well were my kind of, they were my escape. I used to, you know, I felt more comfortable being up on stage in front of you know, 100, 200 people than I did talking to somebody one-to-one you know that's how that's how it was and you know she turned everything on its head made you basically had a reset like a brain reset just to to try and get through and you know basically find myself in a way you know i hear you and as somebody else who has gone through counseling through i guess a, a mental breakdown i went for uh anxiety and and panic attacks and ptsd and going through like the stigma that that's honestly attached to like a male, I think going to counseling and kind of showing that, showing that vulnerability in that way. Um, you can really come away with it, learning a lot, not only about yourself and your life experiences, but also I was able to take a ton from that and apply it to creativity and and making photos and having a a vision and being able to to honestly make sense of of what I enjoy to photograph yeah definitely I mean I you know when I got back into this which was kind of mid 2017 I I I bought another I'd already sold all my gear so I bought another camera (laughs) um but that pressure one to to not have to produce something that's going to sell um, and also the pressure that that you get with 
worrying about what people are going to think of it and whether it's good enough and you know I had all these failure issues all the time and it was like that that had completely gone so to go out with the camera into the kind of wilderness and just sit and photograph stuff and just watch and listen and you know just absorb the you know, the place where you are it just completely it was almost like a light bulb moment i thought god you know I've never felt this way about photography before. And it kind of completely switched my, my mindset around about it. Um, music as well. I mean, I, I joined a, another band after, after that period. And I found, to be honest, I found that the actual live playing, I, I do miss it occasionally. You do get a buzz from it, but it's not, it's not that same buzz. I don't feel like I need to do that anymore. Um, you know, I'd occasionally do the occasional gig, like a reunion gig and stuff like that. But it's not part of, well, it is part of who I am, but it's not, it, you know, I don't have to prove myself anymore. You know, it's it's just something that I do and something that I, that I enjoy. How freeing is that to you? Oh, it's completely, completely. Um, I mean, I you know, I met my partner I'm with now, Justina. We met in, in 2017. Um, she's... Um, she's been an absolute rock you know she's she's just completely on my level and you know we we're just a good team you know it's it's it, we've been together sort of like nearly five years now and it's like you know she she gets the whole photography thing and the, the creative side of things and she's supportive and you know for me it's i'm able to just go out i don't have to prove anything to anybody and and you know just just do it for the hell of it you know I'm curious, you know, going from like we've been kind of following your journey through the path of technology and how it's evolved, um, starting out with an electronic typewriter. You see, I don't, I honestly don't even yeah. know like what that is. It's archaic. Yeah, it's two step two steps away from a from a manual typewriter. It's pretty just just a plug on it basically. Um. Going from that to, to to film to digital back to film, yeah, like I, I feel like it's almost you would encourage other people if they started doing something creative like photography in, in a specific way, like you did with film. Kind of going back to that to remember your first love of it and and why you wanted to take it up in the first place. Oh, definitely. I mean, that's when I used to run the workshops, we, you know, I'd, I'd always, you know, I'd always try and push film because, because it does make you stop. You have to think more about it. You have to kind of work out the exposures and, you know, you don't sort of like take a couple of frames, check your histogram and then reshoot it. You've got to mentally do the, the arithmetic sometimes and use a light meter and, you know, it's, it's, like I said earlier, this this world, everything is kind of progressing at a thousand miles an hour. Let's use the word miles again. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's, you know, we need to, I think we just need to stop sometimes and kind of, you know, I mean, the, the whole NFT space, it's, you know, it's a thousand, it's a thousand miles an hour constantly. And, and the technology and the different platforms and, the, you know, it's, we just, it's nice just to be able to sort of step back sometimes and go a bit sort of old school. and you know, actually create something and, you know, actually using a, using a five, I don't know if you ever shot with a five, four camera. 
No, I I started in film and did uh, expose my own film in a dark room and and create my own prints that way. But honestly, I, I've I've thought about doing what you did, going yeah. back to film with what I started with. Um, but then I went back and like looked at all of my film photos, and I was like, absolutely not. I'd tank my <laughs> career if I did that. I mean, I'd, I'd still I shoot digitally as well, but you know with with a five four camera, it's it is really back to basics. You, you know, you go underneath the dark cloth, and the image on the screen on the ground glass screen that you see is upside down and inverted as well. So once you're under that cloth, it's a very weird. You, you, I think it's something to do with your left hand part, of your brain. Actually, after a few seconds, it it switches it switches the image round, and I've read this somewhere. I can't quote who who wrote it, but. Um, I read somewhere that it's actually quite a, a creative process to use that type of camera because it triggers something in your brain that you don't normally use. Um, but the, the the whole technical side of using that type of camera is, I mean, it can be a nightmare, you know, because you can be stood on a, on a coast somewhere and it's blowing a gale and you've got salt spray and all the rest of it. And then you've, on top of that, you've got to take light read, read, uh, meter readings. You've got to you know, set the settings on these tiny little lenses on the front. <laughs> You've got to make sure it's composed right under this cloth. And but it, it's it's an experience. I can I can say that. But it does. I think it does teach you more about composition and and exposure. You know, the actual technical side of it. One of the things that I've always been passionate about is uh, inducing creative flow in the field and, and getting into that mode and finding different ways either on the way to a location or while you're hiking or doing something else to, to kind of trigger that mode in your mind. Uh, using that camera specifically, would you say that's a process of inducing creative flow? Um, it is. It's, and you've got to accept the fact that sometimes you'll go out and you won't even shoot one frame. Um, sure. you know, you'll, you'll walk for miles and miles up a hill or somewhere and either the light isn't right or, or something isn't right. And you just don't end up taking a picture. But then to be honest, I'm the same now with, with dig- digital cameras. I, you know, I, I don't just take the pictures for the sake of it. It's, you know, it has to be right. And, and if it's not working, I've, it's funny. I usually, if I travel somewhere new, um, we we travel quite a bit. We we have been before lockdown um, came about. But if we go somewhere new, I always find that the first fifty or sixty, roughly, uh, pictures at the start of that that trip are no good. That I've, but I've got to, I've got to sort of start that process to be able to get into the swing of things. And I know it's a weird thing. I, don't, I can't explain it really. But I know when I've started to hit that you know, those, those shots that are going to work. Um, but you, but I have to get into that process, but with film, that process is, is different because, you know, a lot of the times you'll go out with a specific picture in mind. Um, but it is down to conditions and all that sort of thing. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And you've got a, you know, I still get frustrated that if I've got to walk away with nothing, but, but I, I'm, I'm quite a determined person. I, I'll, I'll just make a mental note of it and, and go back again. And I'll go back and back and back. And even when I've got a picture that I'm happy with, I'll still go back because I think it's that's part of the actual creative process as well is 
not to improve or better it, but just, I don't know, it's just um, trying to sort of, uh, trying a different take on something. So you, it's just to, you know, just to find out if there is something more to, to get from a place, you know? Were you like that before you you picked your camera back up? Um, I was, but I was more in a commercial mindset. So every time I went out, I would be thinking, right, has that got enough space at the top for a, a cover title? Um, is it too busy at the bottom of the frame for like a barcode to be put there? Or, you know, it's, you had all these constraints that, that were stopping me actually creating what I really wanted to do. That's really interesting. I've never heard anyone describe composing an image with those things in mind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just a few things. It's, you know, a lot of the time I'd be photographing stuff. For, um, I did a lot of stuff like the photographic press, um, walking magazines, all kinds of stuff. And, and you have to think about like double page spreads, for instance. You'd have to compose a shot. So the main part of the shot was either on the left or the right. And there was space for like a box copy for for the text. So you'd have to have a blank part of the picture somewhere. You couldn't sort of photograph, like for a cover, for instance, you couldn't photograph anything with grass in the foreground because the barcode gets lost. <laughs> it's just stuff like that, you know, on top of <laughs> trying to find the picture. Drive you crazy. <laughs> I think it's it's really interesting. We've talked about you know, the technology slowing down, going back to film. And, and then you've brought up NFTs a couple times and how fast that moves. And, and I think the joke is, you know, like one day in NFTs is like a month, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. um, why did you decide to go into that? Um, I was at the sort of end of, two th well, the end of lockdown, basically. So the end of 2020, um i was i mean for years right back from the start of when i started this picked up a camera i started to supply images to stock library so i was i was supplying getty alamy um all the about five or six different um image agencies and back then in, in the 90s and, and early noughties um it, it was bringing in a, a very good income you know it's but as as we reached again the digital age is kind of completely change this and and by i would say sort of 2009 2010 onwards the, the stock industry just plummeted um and it's got worse year on year on year um so nfts for me were i i got into it not by accident but i i was i've been on twitter since i think 2011 so mm -hmm. i'd noticed a few posts on there but nf I thought, what the hell are nfts what what is you know i started googling stuff and still didn't understand it <laughs> and then um i was asked to do a a, a workshop like a, a demo workshop for a filter company um down here near where i live uh with neil Bunnell. um and i'd heard of neil and i i think I'd, I'd seen him post a few things on twitter and and i think it was around the time when um what's he called vince was was buying stuff right at the start back sort of last year and he was putting all these like cryptic twit uh, tweets up and i was like what the hell is all this stuff you know <laughs> i've got to speak to him about this when we, when we meet up so we had a sort of a brief chat about it <clears throat> excuse me um 
and he kind of ran me through what it was all about and you know you need these digital wallets and you need this and that and i thought this is like this sounds you know it, it piqued my interest and i thought i think i've got to, got to sort of go further with this so uh, this was back in i think it was may last year may or june last year mm-hmm. um and by july i was i was right in i had my digital wallets i yeah, I'd, I'd got an invite to um, foundation, uh, so I, I sort of got straight into it. Uh, so, and, and that's that's how it started. <laughs> how have you, uh, for lack of a better term, kept your sanity with how fast everything moves? And I, I just hear a lot of photographers talk about it's extremely difficult to continue the creative side of photography and and that side of going out in nature and being alone while you have all of this noise and and attention drawing you away from that yeah i think balance basically and i mean my my life experience is kind of given me good training if you like for this this space um i mean back when i started last year it was kind of all new and you know it, it was exciting but you know, I've had I've had days where uh, it it ha- it does get you down. It's like you know that this fear of missing out thing. It's kind of triggering stuff in me that that I recognise from the past. And it's like you know, I've got to stop. You've got to stop, and you've got to. I mean, I've I've you know, I can honestly say I've been on Twitter every day since <laughs> since I joined the space last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but you need other stuff. You need other outlets, and you know, the best thing is to, just to go out and create. Um, but there is a danger of getting into that mindset where you think, where you think to yourself, every time I go out, I've got to produce an NFT that's going to sell. You need to stop. You need to sort of move away from that and just, just go out and create what you want to create, you know? And if, if you want to put it up as an NFT and it, and it sells then then all good. But I think you've got to, you've got to do it for the right reasons. Otherwise it's a very slippery slope, you know? Um, and I've I've recognised it in myself, and I've recognised it in other people. You've only got to read um, tweets by by people. I'm not going to name any names, but you can tell it's kind of they're on the verge of of not a meltdown as such, but definitely sort of burnout. You know, it's a it's a very very dangerous place to be sometimes. I think. How have you How have you done in the NFT realm? um not too bad uh better well t- i mean if you compare it to to the, the stock agency for instance it's it's absolutely phenomenal it's like you know i've i've pretty much sold um my my genesis on foundation sold in the august last year so it was about a month after i joined um and i would say pretty much every month give or take a few weeks i've i've sold images on there it's um and you know, I, I, I sold one to to Dees uh, last, I think, just before Christmas last year, and that was that was one of my highest sales, and that that was just like it was unreal. I was literally, <laughs> I mean, you know, I was almost sort of jumping up and down. It was kind of just so unreal. I've, I've never sold an image for that much, one single image, you know, and it was just like this is crazy. This is absolutely. It's the first crazy. time his name has come up on the podcast before. All right. <laughs> great guy I've done, i haven't spoken to him or anything but yeah he's you know you can see what he does for the community and it's um you know he, he's always there and he kind of you know he just he said oh it's about time this 
this atmosphere and it was just like whoa you know he's one of the the kind of right from the start of this i started following him and you know and i know he he, he knows uh, neil Bennell and it was like he's a big name in the space uh for somebody like that to to kind of buy something it was was just great you know you know I, i've heard a lot of arguments from both sides obviously um and, and i've heard one argument thrown around and i'd love to get your thoughts on this since you've spent time in the stock agency and also now uh you've spent a, a significant amount of time in nfts in terms of how the timeline of nfts goes uh i've heard the argument thrown around that eventually nfts will go the same route as the stock agency did with artists and photographers earning less and the agencies and platforms that they're sold on earning more do you see it going that way yeah i've seen signs of it already um there's there's been a few photographers that have kind of not advertised the fact but they've they've certainly put stuff out that's gone down that route and the whole cco thing and i mean i've i've done it myself i, I mean the, the one i sold to d's was a was a cco image um now stock photography in this realm i don't think without kind of being rude i don't think a lot of collectors realize the potential that um rights connected to an image could give them you know it's you know if if you write up your own rights and you've got your own contract and everything it's you know it could potentially bring further income for, for them not just as a collected piece so i don't know you know as as the likes of instagram um facebook you know all these all these people start to get into nfts and um, i mean i'm surprised the likes of getty haven't haven't sort of cottoned onto it yet and um it's i don't know it's it does kind of raise the red flags a bit because i think it would be a shame if the likes of getty got involved in it because i think it would kill that um you know that kind of art side of it and it would be more about profit and using pictures wherever they want and you know selling rights for this that and the other it's i don't know it's um it's a strange one um I did you see that when time got in yeah yeah i mean it, there's been a few it's um but at the moment like i said i don't think they kind of realize the potential of it at the moment it it's you know technically if you've given away rights to the picture i mean some of these some of these rights basically give you the option to do whatever you want with it so you could you could basically sell that picture through getty or wherever you like you know and you know i think the obviously the fees are higher for the nft in the first place so the the, the question is obviously if you sold that image through a, a, a traditional sort of stock agency you'd never earn that much money unless you were very lucky um across its lifetime across your lifetime um so that's that's kind of the argument you 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 get a fee for the nft which is is, is hugely proportionate to what you would get for on a stock agency but the thing is it's you kind of got to think then of the longevity of that image and it depends on the image as well you know that image could still be selling when you're dead 
you know, in in a hundred years' time, you never know what's going to happen with that image, and that that income from that image could have gone to your family into instead of into Getty's pocket. <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe I'm overthinking it. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's it's definitely possible. Um, the other argument, of course, I've I've heard, and I know you've you've heard as well, is um, that this is just a fad and that it will go away just like kind of the stock agency kind of dissolved and, and fizzled out. Do you see that playing out as well? Um, I did. I did kind of question this back um, near the end of last year. I did think, and I did think I, I raised this question on a, on a spaces. I think I can't remember who it was now, but mm-hmm. you know, I said, obviously as more people get into this, is it going to become oversaturated and is it going to lose its value and its, and its newness? And it's like anything, isn't it? Um, you know, anything kind of technology based over time, it, it either improves and gets to a point where, you know, everybody takes it on board and, and everything's great, or it gets to a point where it gets completely washed out and people either get fed up with it or, um you know it, it it loses its gloss if you like so i don't know um i'd like to think not i mean i'd like to think you know i've i've read posts about that you know this is a new renaissance and stuff like that um i'd like to think that was the case and at the moment it does seem that way i think they'll be around for a pretty long time yet if i think of the optimistic side of it uh and look, I'm I, I sell them too. I don't think anybody is is surprised by that who listens to the podcast. Um, if I think of the word you throw out, Renaissance, compared to other eras when humans were kind of forced into this isolation period and lockdown, whether that be for you know war or you know famine or sickness. There's always this artistic explosion that comes out of it. And and I've kind of gone the route of thinking, well, is this that Renaissance period is giving power back to artists to be able to be creative on the front end of this? Who knows where it goes and, and see see what happens. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I mean, it's I'm, I've been amazed by the support for Ukrainian artists um over the past months you know this 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 conflict's been going on um and how the power of this and the, the power that it's got this community aspect everybody always talks about the community but this this is where you can see it working you know it's it's real and anybody who can comes along and says oh it's a it's a scam it's a it's a cult and all the rest of it it's you've only got to look at what's happened with that you know the money that's been raised through it um the support that people get and you know i've never witnessed anything like that before not not in in art realms you know so it's it can only be a good thing it is tax evasion though right well, that's what they say, but I think I think a lot of people are going to have a big surprise <laughs> over the next year or so. Because um, I mean, in the UK, it's you know tax wise, it's they're not stupid, you know they've they've got their ways and means, and I think it's it's all a nice little party at the moment. But I think you you do need to sort of stop and think sometimes. Hang on a minute, you know maybe I should start <laughs> documenting what I'm selling here and. <laughs> 
Here's you do boys. have to prepare a little bit for, oh, for yeah, yeah. putting a little bit away in, in an extra account to be like, ah, I better save some of this. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you see your photography going, whether that be creatively or career-wise in the next few years? Um, I'd like to think, I mean, I've said this before, but I'd like to think NFTs are my second chance because you don't get many second chances in this life. And I think I dropped photography, not because I was fed up with it. It was because of my circumstances. Um, and it's one of the biggest regrets I've got is is that I stopped. Um, and for me personally, NFTs were that restart, that kind of, and again, it's not about, you know, it's very nice to know that people are buying my stuff and, you know, that they like my work. And it's, you know, this whole social media thing of, likes and comments and all that sort of thing you know you can't deny that it does it it feels good it's good you know i like the fact that people like my stuff um but i think looking at it as a as a business and the actual future of it and things like you know i've recently um got my own smart contract i've looked into platforms i've looked into all kinds of stuff and you know with a business head on it it's got the potential if it takes off the way that people think it's going to take off, it's got the potential to, for me personally, to maybe do this again full time, which is what I'd like. Um, so I'm not stuck in this kind of this job that I hate. And, <laughs> you know, it'd be nice to sort of get back to it. Who knows? <laughs> uh, my last question to you is this. Um, you know, I thought about asking you, I, I ask a lot of, people from England who are photographers, you know, does every English photographer have to have a YouTube channel? Um, (laughs) It seems like the popular thing to do over there. But I I think what I want to ask you to to close up before we let you share where people can go to find more out about you is, is do photographers in England really get the recognition that they deserve based on the unique landscapes that they have at their fingertips? Um, I don't think they do. Um, why? I don't know. I don't know why that is. I know it's a struggle to get seen and to get heard in in this space as, as a UK photographer, not just the UK. I think there's a few other countries as well that um, I think a, a lot of it's got to do with time zones. That doesn't help. Um, you know, it's like, I mean, America now is is literally. I mean, what time is it where you are now? Is it about? It's about uh, twelve forty-five. Yeah, yeah. So you've got this massive difference in time zones. Um, a lot of the spaces that go on, I don't think they exclude people, but I think as a photographer that isn't very well known, you'd you'd feel a bit kind of, you know, a bit wary about joining some of these spaces. I mean, I've I've like, stepped up quite a few times in a few, and it's you know, I think. It depends what sort of character you are. If you if you're happy to sort of get up and talk, it, it's fine. Everybody's friendly, and but I don't know. It's it, it's kind of that. It's the same with music. I think come back to music again. I've always found that you know with a UK band, for instance, the primary thing for them to do as far as their management went was to was to break America. It, you know that it's got that, it, and it's I think it's the same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting of tying in music again and and having that mindset of 
breaking into the American scene. That's that's interesting. I've never thought about it that way before. Yeah, I just see there's a lot of parallels, and I, I just I think that there is this kind of a, a touch of that um, with NFTs, I think, and with photography as a whole, because you know we're a small country. I mean, our, our government think we're huge, but <laughs> we're a small country. <laughs> it's like, you know, the Queen doesn't own as much as everybody thinks she owns anymore. So, you know, we've got to shout that a little bit louder. She doesn't do anything, though. Like, I mean, no. like, in terms of government decisions, right? Yeah. No, I don't know what she does most of the time. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's fair enough. Yeah. Where can people go to find more out about you? Um, I've got my on my Twitter profile. I've got um, a link tree on there, so that lists all the the platforms that I supply, but also my website, um, Instagram, and obviously Twitter itself. Uh, and also, I've, I've I've got a YouTube channel as well, which I've neglected quite quite badly since there it is. came around. Yeah, you I, knew, it. I knew you couldn't resist. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, I um. That's that's done fairly well. It's um, it was a surprise, um, YouTube. It was I felt so awkward in front of a camera at the start, but you get used to it, and it's kind of it's a bit of fun. And again, it's something I do occasionally now. Just you know, there's no pressure to do anything with it. You just go out, and it actually makes me go out and and shoot stuff that I wouldn't normally shoot. You know, so it's it's good. Well, he's Lee Pingali. Lee, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and and sharing your story and thoughts about uh your creative process and and where photography is going cool thank you very much for for having me it's been good to talk to you Hey, so I really hope you enjoyed this episode with Lee Pingali. Lee was kind enough to join us from uh, across the pond. And it, it's just really nice to be able to talk to photographers all over the world. It's nice to be able to talk to photographers, meet them for the first time, not really face to face, but let's just say voice to voice and hear their thoughts on a lot of the topics and you dabble in as well. So it was really fun to talk to Lee. I hope you learned a lot from a seasoned veteran in photography as well. Remember, if you want to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash David Johnston and sign up for a tier that fits your budget. If you want to just support the podcast, say, hey, thank you for doing this week after week and also help it continue going week after week. I'll see you next week, guys.